Hey there, this is Andy Baker, and you're listening to the Baker's Dozen podcast, where I serve up analysis of current TV series from the perspective of a development executive and screenwriter. And I do so 13 bites at a time. At least usually. This time, I have a little bit more to say. Anyway, this is FETCast number four, where I deep dive into episode four of the Book of Boba Fett, The Gathering Storm. If you listened last week that I was being almost relentlessly positive about the book of Boba Fett, this week, it's not so much. It's always interesting to me. I had a quick conversation with my wife after the episode, and she said that she liked this one and hadn't liked the one before as much, and I'm flip-flopped. Bottom line, I'm far less intrigued, I think now that the two stories have come together, largely because there was just an accumulation of bad choices that undercut, to me, the overall power of the episode. Anyway, so I'm just going to, this week is going to be a little bit different in that I'm going to go beyond the normal 13 points. I've got maybe 20 or more, but they're shorter, pretty rapid fire. And so I'm just going to talk about the reactions I had as the episode unfolded, and we'll see where it gets us. If you've been listening to this for any length of time, when characters say things for our benefit, it drives me nuts. So when the episode begins with Boba Fett saying there are still too many guards when he is talking to the Bantha, which is one of the reasons why the Bantha is there. So he has someone to talk to outside of the fact that, you know, Boba Fett is just so cute when he is playing with animals. But obviously characters need to say stuff that we then learn that helps us understand what's going on in the story. That's how storytelling works. It's just when it is said solely for our benefit that it really wouldn't happen under these circumstances that I get thrown off because it becomes a very writerly way to get information out where it doesn't feel natural to the setting and the characters. So. Are we thinking when Boba Fett says that there are still too many guards at the Hut Fortress that he comes here to look at the Hut Fortress often to see if the security has changed? Does that make any sense that, like, why would the number of people involved in the security force change? Like, how often is he checking in? What kind of time period are we talking about? And the whole timeline thing, I think some of it's more clear than some people are saying online about the clarity of how long was he in the Sarlacc pit? How long was he with the Tusken Raiders? How long uh, has he been checking in and putting together this plan to get his hands on the ship? I, I think it's pretty straightforward, except for this last piece of like how often, since he said there are still too many guards, it implies that he is coming and checking on this. And so this line is there for our benefit so that we're wondering what his mission is going to be and how long has he been waiting for this to happen. It just opens up the door for our curiosity, which is what the writers and director and producers are looking for, is to hook us into, okay, why is he here and what is he planning? And it opens up those questions, but it does so in a way that doesn't feel like it would naturally play out this way. Anyway, and then a side note, the, I love Banthas, and from a distance they look great, but up close when they're licking their lips wanting food, good lord, does that tongue look like a Muppet. 
hold on a second, that's Mando's music. So when we see the flares shooting up over the Dune Sea, we're immediately connected with the Mandalorian. And the thought going through my head in that moment was very much, look over there, it's a much better show. So while we've waited and wanted the shows to intersect, this to me felt very much a, like a blunt reminder that Boba Fett, once the coolest badass in the galaxy, has been replaced by Mando. And just pointing it out, Mando keeps his helmet on and he is mysterious and he's cool. And then you earn him needing to take the helmet off to accomplish goals and it becomes meaningful. Meanwhile, Boba Fett almost never puts his on and no one respects him. Wonder if there's a connection. Hello, narrative convenience. Boba Fett needs someone to help him break into Jabba the Hutt slash Bib Fortuna's palace. He grabs a snack with the Bantha, sees some flares. Oh, look, there's a dying woman who just so happens to be a deadly assassin. Just what I need. Textbook narrative convenience. Now we know why we needed the mods in the previous episode. They were there to establish the use of these modifications, even though they were not a prevalent thing anywhere else in the Star Wars universe. And we get this sort of Spy Kids-esque group with their color-coded speeders. And they're all modified and they get their cool little moments. And really it established, okay, there's people out there who know how to install this cybernetic equipment. And this is how Fennec could and would be saved. And can we just point out that the guy who is putting in all of this equipment, I, I, I guess everyone went nuts because it's Thundercat. I don't know the first thing about him. But in the world of the story, this character, not only is he a mechanical wizard, but he's a surgeon as well, a tech wizard surgeon. And how is that not incredibly convenient as well? And yeah, by the way, let's just leave her pistons and gears exposed because I'm sure sand isn't a problem when it comes to mechanical equipment. And anyway, and the whole sequence that was you know, where he is working on her, it had this very cheesy vibe and feel. It's like an 80s montage with 90s industrial music, up to and including the goofy multi-pronged appendage where you are mixing both being an auto mechanic uh, and a surgeon at the same time. This appendage wouldn't be the way to do it, now would it? All the Tuscans are dead. Now, this is a serious one for me. I know I've been poking a little bit of fun, but when Boba Fett and Fennec are talking, he says that the Tuscans, that he got the Tuscans killed. But we didn't get a glimpse of the body of the woman or the child, just the leader. And if they are in fact dead, and the way he talked about them, I thought at the end of last week's episode, that I was holding out some hope that they were still alive somewhere. But the way he's talking about them now is that he's written them off. And by not showing the woman or the child, and yeah, they had the small gaffy stick, so maybe that's a nod to the child pass. But what about the woman who trained him and was a key part of his evolution from Boba Fett to becoming a Tusken Raider? It feels really inexcusable to me to not 
have that moment that they might have thought it'd be gratuitous, that the leader being dead said enough, but they're not honoring the loss. Boba Fett, within the context of the story, is not honoring the loss. We want to see the moment where he is broken up and hurting because of specifically her death. She gave a lot of time to train him in the ways of not only fighting, but the ritualistic dancing. It just feels like this is just a major unforced error. Like, why do you go about it this way? It's a really poor choice. And I don't understand why when they were in the room, they didn't realize that. Giving credit where it's due, there is a bright spot in here as the episode unfolded when we have Fennec saying to Boba Fett, so speed bikers defeated Tuscans? That's highly unlikely. This is telling us that the, the gang members had help, that the pike are instrumental here, giving them the weaponry and the ability to defeat better warriors like the Tuscans. And we have to be pretty well convinced that it wasn't just the Pike that in fact the gang members were involved because as we saw later in the episode, Boba Fett mowed them all down and you can't have that massacre of those people be an oops looking back. Oh, they weren't actually involved at all. It was just the Pike syndicate. It has to be the gang backed up by the Pike because again, you can't have a massacre be a mistake at least with a character like Boba Fett that you want us to like. The softening of Boba Fett is something that I've been struggling with in that I understand why they're doing it and the need to do it. You can't have a violent bounty hunter and a confirmed assassin like Fennec being at the heart of a Disney plus slash Star Wars show, you could, but that's not the tone and feel that they're looking for, but there's gotta be a sweet spot in there somewhere. And I think the Mandalorian did a very good job in doing that. But when you see the wagging tail of the Bantha, when he's offering him some food, and then when he says goodbye to the Bantha, giving it a scratch and trying to make us feel an emotional connection there. And of course, we saw the rancor in the last episode where he found the magic spot for scratching him. And clearly there's some bonding that's happened in that as soon as Boba Fett is threatened later in the episode, we see the, the rancor jam his claws up through the grating. So there's a, an emotional connection there. But I just, one question for you, as you're listening to this, how would you have reacted if someone had told you back when you watched Return of the Jedi for the first time, you've seen the appearances of Boba Fett in the movies. And at that point, when he's on the hot party barge, he is still this mysterious bounty hunter badass. If you were to say at that moment, pause the movie and say, this guy is going to crash into the barge after being hit by a blind Han Solo. He'll fall into the Sarlacc pit. But that ultimately, don't worry, he's going to become a pet lover who wants to clean up the streets of Mos Espa. What would you have done if someone had pitched that character arc to you? I don't know about you, but I would have laughed. Hey, let's confuse the general audience. So when Boba Fett says something like, 
kill the bloated pig who double-crossed me. In that moment, we have no idea who he's talking about. Now you can put it together that he's talking about Bib Fortuna, but in the single moment there, it's confusion. And they then don't offer us any clarity about how Bib Fortuna double-crossed him. Like, you have to go and read the graphic novels to understand this. If you're going to be a show for casual viewers, you have to allow them to understand what's going on and what the characters are saying, even when you're tapping into the extended universe to appeal to the diehards. They didn't do that here. They just leave you confused, and we don't really understand his whole deal with Bib Fortuna. We just know that he kills him rather coldly in that series teaser uh, at the end of The Mandalorian, and it still hasn't been explained to us. That's not the best writing in the world. I know, let's start a business on a desert planet in the middle of nowhere. So Fennec asks Boba Fett, so you want to head a Gotra? That's a very good question, Fennec. Why would Boba Fett want to do that? There is some logic that makes sense. He gets to call the shots. He gets to start a business instead of being a freelancer. But here on Tatooine... Why? I, I, it feels to me like this is undercutting the power of Boba Fett connecting with the Tuscans, that uh, he became a part of something and he could see beyond himself and he was ready to give up the whole bounty hunting thing. But the lessons that he learned from the Tuscans have made it so that he just wants to be a kinder and gentler crime lord, where he still is seeking out protection money. And does he think that he's never going to have to use violence to keep order? Does he think that this is the kind of place where there's going to be a lot of jobs for him to do? If you're going to set up a house, why don't you go somewhere else that isn't Outer Rim, isn't out in the middle of nowhere? It just seems so interesting to me. Is he going through some sort of bounty hunter midlife crisis that he you know, doesn't want to work for people that might get him killed, that don't care enough about him and his feelings. Of course, it's very interesting and funny that he is ripping into Jabba and Vader when he says this, but he wants to put a family together. And clearly it's on his mind. He tells the Bantha to go make baby Banthas and to go wander the Dune Sea. There's this sense like he wants to settle down and build something up that has some meaning to it because he got a taste for it when he was with the Tuscans. And Frankly, to some degree, that's lovely. But the answer to that question is to set up a group of bounty hunters of your own where you don't have to listen to the idiocy of others, but you're still going to be bounty hunting and probably having to resort to violence because you're good at it. And you're going to still be taking money from the citizens of Mos Espa and elsewhere on Tatooine. How is that the lesson that you learned from the redemption and the resurrection that you experienced with the Tuscans? I'm just picturing that if the Tuscan leader and the woman and the child would see that this is what he pulled from it, that they'd be ashamed of him. Hey, look, a brightly lit sewer grate. Extending the long-standing trope that people who, the engineers that built palaces for bad people are just really bad at their jobs. So let's put a security weakness right near the front door, like that's up there with the Lord of the Rings sewage tunnel. It doesn't make any sense. And by the way, if you haven't done yourself this service, you should 
go online and look up, there's a list of a hundred things that someone would do if they were an evil overlord or a bad guy in a movie. And it lists a whole bunch of these things that the same mistakes that people always make, revealing their whole plan before they're going to kill James Bond, that kind of thing. Anyway, this is right up there with it. It's like, okay, we have a really tightly guarded building where you can't get in, but literally to the right of the front door is a well-lit sewer grate, and that's where we're headed. And never mind the fact, okay, there are guards around who not only don't see them, even though there's pretty heavy moonlight, they also don't hear the really stupid iron bar clank that happens when Fennec kicks the bars after having used her metal cutter. It wouldn't the quiet way be to cut the top and then the bottom while you're holding the middle and then pull it out so that you don't call attention to yourself. But no, we want to see Fennec kick things because, hey, that's what you do in an action TV show. Have them kick things and do dumb things because that's more interesting than doing what they would actually do. Major tonal problems. The tone of this series is, and I've talked about this from the very beginning, they haven't settled on an approach where it's very jarring. You have a burping bantha, you have the bonking of the creature that is trying to climb out of the cooking pot, you have the ridiculous chase sequence between Boba Fett and the Clone Wars rabbit robot, which by the way, diminishes Boba. Like when he holds that droid up to the wall and says, I am Boba Fett. I wanted him to follow that with chaser of droids. Like all of this has this tone of being a kid's show. And yet in the same episode, Boba Fett guns down around 20 members of the speeder gang. And we get black chrysanthemum ripping a Trandoshan's arm off. It is an incredibly vacillating tone in, 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 in two of the extremes. And I don't think it they know which show this is. Is it a kid's show, a tweener show, and a whole family show? And if it is, why are you ripping arms off and showing the mass destruction? Even if the bikers quote unquote deserved it, it's pretty graphic given what some of the tone of the other stuff is. What audience are you trying to tap into? And the answer really is it, they want everybody but it leads to some real contrasts of light and dark. And one could argue as I am, that doesn't really work. The logic of action sequences. We know that Boba Fett and Fennec are going to get away. That's built into the story. And so the tension of the scene has to come in how it plays out. And so you end up with these endless waves of bad guys, like a respawn point in a video game. They don't come out all at once. That's another thing that's actually on that list of hundred things that bad antagonists really shouldn't do. It's like, why not gather everyone up and then just storm them all at once so they can't get away rather than send them in in waves to get shot. Anyway, then you have the gonk droid exploding. Really? Did anyone know that they explode when they get shot? Is there precedent for that? Or was that just convenient? Felt convenient to me. And then you have Boba Fett's ship parked in a way that requires an absurd amount of maneuvering to get out. That's how they would park this thing. I would imagine that they plan to use it from time to time. So yeah, that really checks out that they would park it that way. It's the whole sequence 
plays out in a way it's we want cool things to show. And so we're going to just have those cool things happen, even if it doesn't make any sense. I know let's kill all the witnesses. So Boba Fett wants to find out what happened. He would want to know the details of like, why did you attack the Tuscans? Who put you up to that? I want more information. Did any of them live? Instead of keeping one of them around for questioning, he shoots them all. And I understand like revenge can be, it's obviously a strong motivator and it's a really cool shot when he looms up over them and we know what's coming for them. But as Fennec pointed out, there's no way that these guys defeated the Tuscans all by themselves. So who helped them? And Boba Fett would want to have those answers. But again, hey, it's cooler to show him just shooting all of them with the lasers and then wasting a rocket on one of them because, again, a cool action sequence. When in fact, that doesn't make a lot of sense narratively because he needs some of the information that they have. If only we had something that we could send into the Sarlacc pit to look around for my suit of armor without me having to go in there or without me having to get my ship really close. Wait a minute. We have that flying spy ball thing that Fennec had that can fly in there and look around and check and come back with images. And chances are that thing wouldn't irritate the Sarlacc in the same way as a big ship would with the light beam going around. It makes no sense other than wanting to show a Sarlacc doing Sarlacc things, have a bit of a jump scare, and then have a problem that they have to solve. And that gives Fennec something to do to prove her worth and her willingness to go to great lengths so that they are equal in this partnership. It doesn't make any sense, underlying sense that he would do it this way. Again, they showed us a device this episode that they could have used to go and find his armor if it were there. And so he just sends this message. Boba Fett isn't just older now. He isn't just soft, but he's stupid. Great. That's exactly what we want from our protagonist. We could all drive ourselves mad worrying about the physics of science fiction, but this idea that they, that depth charge that Fennec ends up releasing into the gaping maw of the Sarlacc, we've seen it work before, specifically Boba Fett's little depth charge things in the Mandalorian. And that blast is huge. The fact that it was absorbed totally by the Sarlacc and the sand and doesn't blow up their ship is just patently absurd. And I laughed when I saw it. And you never want your viewers laughing. Unless it's a comedy, but this isn't. Even though it sometimes tries to be that whole thing. Don't press my buttons. That's your outline. That's how you're going to end that whole sequence. She just save your lives, even though it was physically impossible. You're going to talk about pushing buttons. Okay. So yeah, I'm going to go into the exploded body of a Sarlacc in my Tuscan robes, holding onto a rope that isn't even tied around me 
a rope which I guess is impervious to all of this acid that he is getting drenched by? Yeah, okay. That makes a lot of sense, really. I'm pissed, but you don't know why. So black chrysanthemum glaring at the Trandoshans. We have no idea why, other than he's been drinking and he's just in a bad mood. We don't know, because they've never told us, that the members of that race were the ones who enslaved him and took him to become a gladiator. All we're seeing is Black Chrysanthemum as unleashing violence without purpose. And they're asking us to laugh at an arm being ripped off. This just seems like a long scene to establish why that Black Chrysanthemum will take Boba Fett's offer to give him some sort of purpose. And again, we see this scene begin with this anger and violence from Black Chrysanthemum which if we understood the underlying reasons for it, we might have some more empathy. We don't have to have sympathy, just empathy, where we can understand why he's doing what he's doing, even if we don't necessarily agree with it or like it. But we don't know that. And so we just see Black Crescenton as someone who is irrational, violent, and I'm not sure why they chose to do it that way to leave the audience in the dark like that. It affects how we think about the characters, and I don't know that's necessarily how they want us to think or feel, but it, it could have been done better. But again, there has been some lack of information sharing, and this is just another example of it. Stay neutral. So I talked last week about what they were going to do with these three factions within Mosespa. And I was wondering how exactly are they going to juggle us knowing who the various leaders of those factions are. And I may have mentioned, I'm not sure, but one of the ways that they could handle that is just have one big meet and greet. They did that, but without a heck of a lot of meeting or greeting, it's simply one big expositional dinner where we're saying, we don't have time to give you a backstory. So we're going to have this quick conversation where Boba Fett establishes the stakes saying, okay, the Pikes are going to take over and we need to do something about that. But because you guys don't want to engage, fine, stay neutral. Don't backstab me while I deal with the problem because I am going to restore order. Essentially, you're just backbenching these characters with the promise that one of them will probably betray him, but will win anyway, and then or Boba Fett will emerge victorious, and then the other two will get to split up the third one, the one who betrays. So you can start playing that game right now. Who is the most likely to, of the three groups to betray? But anyway... This idea of stay neutral, it is basically saying, okay, we don't really want to involve you in the story too heavily. We don't have time for that. And that to me screams out for, wouldn't this be richer and more interesting if we spent more time with these characters and understood the dynamic existing in most Eisley better so we could understand who might turn 
and what the issues are between the three. They are basically interchangeable, really. We have no sense for how they interact with each other, what they think about each other. It's simply, we're getting rich in our little corners and we don't want to get involved. Fine, don't get involved and I'll go and deal with all of the problems. It's a bizarre way to handle, hey, it's a really politically and socially complex situation here in most ESPA, but we're not going to really address that. We're not really going to talk about it. We're just going to put a bunch of aliens in front of you of races that you've seen before and all of the other stuff, and we're going to then ignore them so that Boba Fett can gather up all of his buddies to then go and solve the problem in a more cinematic way. Ending the episode with Mando music. It feels to me, and this is horribly unfair, I'm sure, that this is an announcement, like this show can't stand on its own. We're four episodes into a seven episode run and we need to call in the big guns. We need to bring in the Mandalorian that, and this was always going to be a part of the plan because you know, their stories are interconnected, but at this particular moment, it is a reminder, Boba Fett can't solve his problems on his own and he can't hold up a show on his own. He really needs to bring in the superstar Mando who will keep his helmet on and kick a lot of ass and we will be very excited for this. It's just a reminder that he's the headliner and Boba Fett is simply one of the opening acts. I guess I'll do predictions, even though I don't feel terribly inspired to do, but it feels a lot like they're setting up a defenders like team up. And I apologize for invoking the defenders, which was horribly underwhelming over on Netflix, even though I really like daredevil as a character and Jessica Jones was outstanding, but the rest was pretty forgettable. And don't get me started on Iron Fist. But here we have Boba Fett with his own show. We have the Mandalorian with his own show. And Fennec is obviously a third member of that team. But we have Black Kersantin, who is we've been established enough now that he might end up appearing in some other shows like maybe the Obi-Wan show. But are they going to pull in other characters from shows, you know, things like Clone Wars and Rebels? Are we going to get a Cad Bane or a Bosk? And so you can have this big old team up. We, of course, when you start bringing in those heavy hitters, Talk about making the mods feel extraneous. They had their one episode and then we get one line referring to them in this episode uh, about they're out there sweeping the streets, you know, making sure, getting information, whatever it is that they said that they were doing. We didn't need, it's interesting that they're going to play into this idea of Boba Fett putting together a house, built around loyalty and protecting one another. I am hesitant on the one hand, seeing characters like Mando and even you know, further exploring someone like Black Chrysanthemum and introducing cool characters from other parts of the universe. It's all interesting, but you need to have those characters have their moments when you meet them and establish who they are. And then when they get into the mix action wise. Everyone needs to have their moments, their showcase lines and action beats, just like they had to do with the mods, with all of their specific weapons, they all needed their moments. But it's also just this really big sign that you don't trust your central character to carry the story. 
that he needs the help. So you need to bring in some reinforcements. But we have three episodes. They announced the very blatant line, you're healed now, master. Don't need the back to tank anymore. And the back to tank is our avenue into the backstory. So I guess the backstory is done. And so we have three episodes for Boba Fett to put together the team, to find the mayor, get information from the mayor, get revenge, and then set up to take on the pikes and whether seemingly without the help of the factions from Mos Espa, but like I said before, one of them betraying and getting involved. And so we're going to end up building towards a final confrontation again with a lot of the members of Boba Fett's new team so that you can end with an episode where they take down the pikes. And he is staring at a choice of, he looks around and look at this family that he's put together of all of these bounty hunters who can now work together and build something more meaningful. And he will have returned Tatooine to some semblance of, or at least, uh, Mos Espa and maybe Mos Eisley to some sort of stability. And at that point, I'm, I imagine that the series is done, that uh, it's a one and done, but I suppose we shall see. Certainly, um, one of the things I've discovered about my predictions week after week is that I clearly thought that this would be a more ambitious show and exploring some more complex storylines. And they've gone a little more streamlined, a little more straightforward, which frankly makes me a little bit sad, but we'll ride it out. I'm not hate watching so much as trying to see what they're trying to do ultimately so that I can look back open-eyed and see the show for what it is and what it has chosen to be. Yeah, we shall see. But obviously this whole episode has been a bit of a rant. It's not all bad um, along for the ride. If I wasn't podcasting about it, would I keep on watching? I tend to be a completionist but I would be tempted to move on because there's a lot of good TV out there. Okay, so that's it for this week. And I apologize that it turned into a bunch of things that irritated me. It can just get frustrating at times when you have high hopes for something and it's choosing to not reach for higher heights than it is, but I'm going to take it for what it is, continue to watch till the end. And again, I'll find things to be more positive about. I just, uh, maybe I'm just overcompensating for last week being too positive, but just a lot of things that I would have changed or certainly feedback I would have given this particular episode as they were putting it together. This is the one that would have been just covered in notes and, uh, Anyway, so my ask this week is if you would go to the website, b13podcast.com and leave me a note or some feedback there, or find me on Twitter, b13pod, and tweet at me there, or find the Facebook page on Facebook for the podcast and leave me a note there. Would love to hear from you and hear what you like, what you would change, what shows that are on the horizon that you're interested in. I know that when I get to the end of this show at the beginning of February, there's a gap until House of Dragons ends up coming out in mid-April. I have some ideas for another podcast that I'm looking to launch, but I will be open to show ideas. So let me know what you're interested in. 
And uh, yeah, always a pleasure. And I'll talk to you next week. Be well. 